Welcome to the King's Word Bible Study. I'm your host, Brother Vinnie Fitzgerald, and today we're going to delve into the Bible to bring you insight from God's Word that will help you grow and develop into spiritual maturity. These lessons are designed to help guide you and strengthen you in your relationship with the Lord. Whether you've never opened a Bible or have read it cover to cover, this podcast will inform and uplift you. Our purpose is not only for you to know and to understand the King's Word, but for you to live it out in your day-to-day life. Philippians 4 and 9 tells us that whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Today, our topic is going to be understanding covenant. And today, let's begin in Galatians 4 and 21. In Galatians chapter 4 and verse 21, it says, Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do ye not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. Which things are an allegory? For these are the two covenants, the one from the Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, thou barren that bearest not, break forth and cry, thou that travailest not. For the desolate have many more children than she which hath a husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what saith the scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren... We are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Now in verse 24, we saw the word allegory. Now this is the only place where the word allegory appears in scripture. It wasn't by chance that Paul had made this choice of words. It is significant, and he is trying to demonstrate a spiritual truth here. According to Smith's Bible Dictionary, an entry for the word allegory reads, In every allegory, there is the twofold sense, the immediate or historic, which is understood from the words, and the ultimate, which is concerned with the things signified by the words. The allegorical interpretation is not of the words, but of the things signified by them, and not only may, but actually does, coexist with the literal interpretation in every allegory. And the Dake's Annotated Reference Bible, in their footnote for the word allegory, reads an extended simile, a symbolic representation, natural or religious story, of which the lesson is the substance, and the details are but accessories to the main point. The main idea is that Hagar and Sarah symbolize the Old and New Covenants. Hagar represents the Mosaic Law that gendereth to bondage, and which has been cast out and abolished. Sarah represents the New Covenant, that gives freedom from bondage and brings men to God, making them children of His by the new birth. 
The old covenant has been cast out and is no longer in force. Now in verse 25, we saw that it says, For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. Now Hagar represents the law, which is synonymous with Mount Sinai, because the law came forth from there. Jerusalem, in a similar way, represents Sarah. Mount Zion is in Jerusalem, and it was out of Mount Zion that the Messiah came forth. Jesus Christ, who through his death and resurrection brought forth a covenant of grace. Ishmael was the son of Hagar, the bondwoman. He represents the people who live under the covenant of the law. These are the people who are in bondage to the law. Isaac was the son of Sarah, the free woman, and he represents the people who live under the covenant of grace, the children of promise. These are the people who live in the freedom of the gospel. Ishmael and Isaac embodied the two covenants. Their entire lives were lived in a way that showcased both covenants being lived out. They showed us what it looks like to live under each covenant. And the four key parts of this allegory are Hagar, Sarah, Ishmael, and Isaac. First, we need to look at Hagar, the bondwoman, who represents Mount Sinai. The Hebrew word Sinai means foreign according to the Strong's Concordance. Another word derived from the same root word is Senna, which means foreign bush. Mount Sinai is also called Mount Horeb. The Hebrew word Horeb comes from the root word Harav, meaning to lay waste, be dried up, and to fight. Sinai means foreign because it is notable for its many foreign bushes. By definition, the words Sinai and Horeb are synonymous because dry wastelands, especially in the Middle East, are often filled with thorn bushes. The name Hagar in Hebrew means flight, to be dragged off, and to be pressed into service, and it also means sojourner. The law was created in response to the sin problem that man has. Sin laid waste and dried up the human heart, and caused fighting between the flesh and the spirit. God created the law because of the decaying spiritual state of man. Before the Mosaic law came, conscience was a law unto men, defining what was right and wrong, which is also called a covenant of works. The Mosaic law was necessary because it showed what sin was in the eyes of God. The people who were now subjected to the law, dragged off into it, and pressed into the service of the law, are represented by Ishmael. They were forced into obedience to a law, that required nothing less than perfection. They became slaves to the law. The name Ishmael in Hebrew means God will hear. This is in the future tense. It is a perspective of looking ahead. When God created the law, he designed it to be temporal because he knew that it would one day be fulfilled in its fullness by Christ. The law laid the foundation for the sacrificial death of Jesus. Ishmael's name was a prophecy. God will hear. God's people had become enslaved and put under the heavy bondage of the law. A person who is enslaved needs a redeemer, and he sent his son Jesus to pay the price and to buy them back so that they could be free. The prophecy of Ishmael was fulfilled. God heard. This brings us to Sarah, who represents Jerusalem. The Hebrew word Jerusalem is a contraction of two words. The first part is Yeru meaning foundation, to found, 
to lay a cornerstone. The other part is shalom, meaning peace. When you combine Yeru and shalom, you get Jerusalem, which means city of peace, abode of peace, and dwelling of peace. The name Sarah in Hebrew means in the feminine sense, princess or noble lady. It is derived from the noun Sarah, which is Sarah without the H, meaning ruling body, and from the verb sharar, meaning to retain liquidity. Sarah represents the new covenant, the covenant of grace, that Christ brought forth. Jerusalem was the center of the religious elite and the scholars of the law in Jesus' time. It was a political center and an important place for the ruling class, similar to our modern-day Washington, D.C., in America. And out of this place came Jesus, the Prince of Peace, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, upon whose shoulders sits the true heavenly government. And it is through him that believers all throughout the world are the true ruling body, because we will rule and reign with him as kings and priests do now in the present. Retaining liquidity in a worldly sense means being able to access cash when you need it. In a spiritual sense, it means being able to access grace and forgiveness through Christ when we need it. Jesus didn't come to do away with the law. He came to fulfill it. And there is no remission of sins without the shedding of blood. Christ became the scapegoat and the blood sacrifice for the whole world. Jesus came to deliver the promise, the promise of grace, the promise of freedom, and the promise that on judgment day, our verdict will be not guilty if we look to Christ as the source of our righteousness. The name Isaac in Hebrew means joy and laughter. He represents the people, like us, who are of promise, who live under the covenant of grace and have the freedom of Christ. We are the people who have been redeemed and delivered. We are free from the fear of punishment and the anxiety that comes from always worrying about perfectly keeping the law. And we are free to serve God out of love and not fear. When a person is truly free in Christ, the peace of God can come into their lives and rule in their hearts. When a person has peace in their hearts, it opens them up to receive joy from God. And when a person has joy in their heart, they can laugh. Laughter is always the manifestation of a joyful heart. Only joyful people can laugh. Miserable people can't laugh. And as free people, we are called to have peace, joy, and laughter operating in our lives today. Now, if we go back into verse 28, it says, Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. Now, if we go further into the 31st verse, it says, So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. One of the major differences between the covenant of the law and the covenant of grace was motive. And we have to understand this being that we are children of promise if we are born again. Motive is a crucial part of our humanity. Motive is behind every single thing that we do every single day of our lives. Motive is the key to understanding action. No action is devoid of motive. The same is true when we choose to do right or wrong in the eyes of God. There's always a motive behind why we choose that course of action. Each covenant gives us a different motive of why we should desire to do the right thing in the eyes of God. Under the covenant of the law, fear was the motivation to do what's right. There was fear of punishment, fear of angering God, 
and fear of being cut off from God if their actions were not perfectly pleasing to him. The law created a standard of perfection, which mankind was unable to meet because of their fallen nature. This caused people to fear falling short or missing the mark. The law was defined by fear because fear drove people to do what was right. It's a different story under the covenant of grace. 2 Timothy 1 and 7 reads, For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God hasn't given us fear. We are the children of promise under the covenant of grace. Our motivation for doing what is right is love. We should seek to do what is right because of our love for God, our love for his word, and our love for the sacrifice he made on our behalf. God is love, and our love for God should drive us to do the things that are well-pleasing to him. If fear is motivating us to do what is right, our motive is wrong, and we are misunderstanding the grace that we've been given. Love should always be our sole motivation. Another major difference between the two covenants is their focus. Under the covenant of the law, the focus is put on the individual, on the self. The focus is put on our works and our actions and our efforts. Under the law, you could obtain right standing with God by what you could do yourself and on your ability to do what was right in the sight of God. The focus was taken off of God and put on the individual self. Under the covenant of grace, the focus is taken off of the individual self and put back on God. Through Jesus' sacrificial death and resurrection, He took the focus off of us and put it on himself. Under grace, you can obtain right standing with God by yourself or by your works. You can only obtain it by accepting Jesus and what he has done on your behalf. With grace, our focus has to be extranos, which is a Latin term meaning outside the self. It has to be on Jesus. Our focus must be on Jesus and what he's done instead of on us and what we've done. Some people today try to build their tower of Babel, their moral fortress. They try to get up to heaven by what they can do themselves and by their works. But in the end, like what happened in Genesis 11, they will be confounded because they were told a lie. And that's the deception of religion and legalism. Religion tells you that you can get to heaven by your own works, but it leaves out grace and thus misleads people. John chapter 14 and verse 6 says, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. We can never get to heaven alone, by ourselves or by our works. We can only get there through Jesus and what he has done on our behalf. In this allegory of Galatians chapter 4, we see the pattern of transition. There is the transition of Hagar to Sarah, Ishmael to Isaac, Mount Sinai to Mount Zion, And there is a transition of bondage to freedom, from fear to love, and from focus on ourselves to focus on Jesus. Most importantly, there is a transition of the law through Moses to grace through Jesus. This transition happens in each of our lives when we become born again. We move from being beholden to the power of sin to being beholden to the power of grace. We move from being children of bondage to becoming children of promise. When we understand that we are the children of promise, we need to live in that promise. When we are of promise, we are free to have peace, free to have joy, free to laugh, and most importantly, free to love. 2 Timothy 2 and 1 
reads, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We are called today to live as children of promise and to be strong in the grace we have received through Jesus and to enjoy the benefits of that covenant of grace. We today as children of promise need to remember that we are the ones that need to have joy. The world is always watching us and we need to be examples unto the world of how it is to live with Christ. We need to have joy and laughter. The Westminster Catechism of 1643 says that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We can't forget to enjoy God. That needs to be a driving part of our life that drives us to action. And we need to remember that it's okay to laugh and it's okay to have joy operating in our lives. Religion is stiff and it's cold and it's dead. All the things that prevent us from enjoying life. But God wants you to have life and to have it more abundantly. And he wants you to enjoy all the great things in this world that he's given to you. And we need to remember that as children of promise, this is the inheritance that our Lord has given to us. We are heirs and joint heirs with Christ. And that means enjoying all that he gave to us. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the joy and for the laughter and the peace that only you can provide in our hearts, Lord God. We give you our hearts. We give you all of us, Lord God, that you can do with us what you see fit. And we thank you for the transition from law to grace, that we don't have to upkeep some hard standard of perfection that's unrealistic, but that we can experience forgiveness and grace through your son, Jesus. We thank you that this is our inheritance, that we can enjoy all these great things that you gave us, and to do all that in peace and in love and not out of fear. And we thank you, Lord, that you did this on our behalf. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you want to be one of those children of promise that you've heard so much about today, and if you want that to be part of your life, who you are as a person, and if you want Jesus to be a part of your life, all you need to do is to invite Jesus into your heart to be your personal Lord and Savior. You need to repent of your sins and ask for his forgiveness. Then you trust that you've been forgiven and you need to ask for his free gift of eternal life. If you've prayed this from a sincere heart and you truly meant it, then you are now a part of the family of God. Welcome to the family. Thank you all for listening. We appreciate you spending your time with us today. And if you would like to give us feedback and tell us how much you appreciate this show, you can contact us at kingswordbiblestudy at gmail.com. And if you would like to learn more about this program and this ministry, you can visit kingswordbible.com. God bless you. We want you to know that we love you all. And we will see you next week as we continue to study the King's Word together.